Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Ellen Lem, and we will be talking about her new book and her work. Her, the new book is Gray Matters, Finding Meaning in the Stories of Later Life. Aging is one of the most compelling issues today, with record numbers of seniors over 65 worldwide. Gray Matters, Finding Meeting in the Stories of Later Life, examines a diverse array of cultural works, including films, literature, and even art that represent this time of life, often made by people who are seniors themselves. These works uh, focusing on important topics, such as housing, memory loss, and intimacy, are analyzed in dialogue with recent research to explore the stories, illuminate the dynamics of growing old by blending fact with imagination. Gray Matters also incorporates the life experiences of seniors gathered from more than 200 in-depth surveys, excuse me, uh, with a range of questions on growing old, not often included in other age studies works. Combining cultural texts, gerontology research, and observations from older adults will give readers a fuller picture of the struggles and uh, pleasures of aging, and it avoids oversimplified representations of the process as all negative or all positive. Okay, everyone, uh, thank you for staying with us uh, again today. My very special guest is Dr. Ellen Lem, and we're talking about her new book, Gray Matters, Finding Meaning in the Stories of Later Life, uh, Global Perspectives. Okay, so with that, I'd like to welcome Ellen to the show. Good day. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. This is a uh, the the topic of your book is one that I focus a lot of attention on in the last couple of years, and obviously it, it needs a lot of attention because we have a, a graying population. So um, I'm looking forward to talking about the, the details of, of your book and the, the the surveys that you you did and, and um, that contributed to it. So let's first start with the, the title, <laughs> Gray Matters. So you, you know. It's a really important decision to, to select a title. So, would you mind sharing with us, you know, kind of why you selected the title and, and what's the overall um, idea of inspiration for the book? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, we did have a little bit of, of wrangling. The publisher and I, um, I had a title that I originally loved called Silver Seekers, um, playing off on Silver Sneakers, a nationwide program where seniors are able to use the Y. And they came back with something I didn't like. So it took a little bit to, to settle on something <laughs> we both agreed on. But um, why I really like this title is that it does pay tribute a little bit to the Black Lives Matter movement which brought to people's attention 
the importance of that word matters and focusing on a group of people that have not always had uh, the same sort of respect and rights uh, being appreciated. So it, that is foremost, uh, the, the gray matters is to call attention to that I think this time of life is extremely important and has been overlooked for too long. Um, it also, the matters part of it is that I do talk about a lot of issues that I think pertain to people as they get older, uh, how long to keep working versus retirement, you know, should people be worried about that they're going to have dementia, how is aging affect men and women, so I talk about matters that I think affect people a lot as they get older. Um, and then the last probably meaning of it is by using the word gray to look at the complexity of these issues and that I found in my research too often people had extreme positive or extreme negative views of aging. And so by really concentrating on the stories that people tell, we're I'm looking at sort of the gray issues where things are not in just one category or the other, but they are both sometimes, some positive with negative. So the word gray also allows me to do that. Yeah. That, by going through and reading your book, you really do highlight how complex or how, um, you know, interconnected, you know, the topics are, you know, regarding aging. And and, um, and and I've kind of focused a lot of attention on it, like I said, the last couple of years, just in people that I know who have been in, um, involved in um, assisted living facilities, nursing homes, and that kind of thing. So um, a lot of that, your information kind of struck uh, close to, to what I experienced. So um, one of the things uh, you spent some time in the book about talking about is um, age stereotypes. And, mm-hmm. and you, 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 have, you do a wonderful job of um, including examples from, um, from literature, art, um, you know, all across the board as far as, you know, how um, these stereotypes are um, conveyed, you know, to, to us. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe um, what are some of, of the stereotypes that, um, and I know why I'm going to ask you know, that are that are kind of really certainly not true anymore. But um, one yeah. of the things in your book that you talk about is, is that it's such an individual thing. So I mean, right. it's gonna, here I'm asking you to talk about generalities when it's really an individual thing. But but I think you kind of know where I'm going with that. Yeah, but I think it is important because um, I mean, here just to, to put it in context, I was in discussion with my mom who's in her 80s about Golden Girls the other day. And so she was like, love that show. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) um, good good show in in many ways, but like problematic in that it is, first of all, like all played for laughs, which is oftentimes Mm -hmm. how, um, how people who are older are portrayed. Lots of comedy. Think of Seinfeld. Think of his, his parents. I mean, they're, they're usually, it, it is, you know they're they're being mocked in some way. Uh, the Simpsons, I use that as an example, and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, they're really like exaggerated features. So some of the the I think the most pernicious stereotypes that I see. I mean, one is of being like weak and feeble, and that even if people are like physically struggling. Um, it makes them into seem like as if they're invalids as opposed to still having 
sharp minds, um, rich lives mm-hmm. and things like that. So that's like I think one of the most dangerous ones is the idea of uh, if you go like to a party store and you look at the the birthdays, you know, at 50 or 60, what do they have? They have the inflatable walker, they have the cane, you know, it is the big joke being like, oh yeah, as you get older, you know, your body's going to fall apart. So I think that is um, problematic. I think the stereotype of that um, older people are, um, are, you know, they're, they're one step closer to dementia. Um, you know, I have a problem even with the term senior moment. It's like we all forget. Mm. I was on a walk with a friend yesterday who and recommending a book, and I thought, oh, it just it's a book that I reference in this book called uh, <laughs> Now I Remember on 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 dementia called The Wide Circumference of Love, and I couldn't think of the title. Uh-huh. Well, a typical response uh-huh. is like, oh, I'm having a senior moment. But when you say something like that. It reinforces the idea that, yes, as you're getting older, you're, you know, one step closer to losing your mind. So um, those are some of them. And then, you know, just a whole host of about um, sexuality with people who are older that I do treat in the book um, about, you know, again, being just made fun of to be a sexual person as a senior citizen continually um, gets gets ridiculed in all kinds of texts, like not only even um, you know popular culture ones, but in literature as well. So I think those are some of the the most damaging ones that I that I came across. Yeah, boy. Now you know when you mentioned Golden Girls, I mean that uh, when you look at the characters, I mean they all really kind of um, are, were made to represent you know different you know, various um, types, you know, of, of right. aging, you know, everything from, you know, just sitting on the couch to, to um, being sexually active, you know, so, um, yeah. Right. Uh, now, yeah, you know, and, and I don't, do you think that, um, what, what, what's, I, and I know you don't, you know, talk about how that was kind of for last. Now, how, as we age, you know, we do encounter those things that, you know, are often made light of. Um, is it, you know, one, one of the things, I, I'm one of those that, I mean, I, I used on air probably about three or four months ago. I had one of those dyslexic moments, where I, um, you know, those moments where I couldn't um, find the word. Um, right. And uh, said myself, it was a senior moment. So I mean, I yeah. kind of fall right into <laughs> we that. All um, you know. yes. Yeah. So um, is it? I, I guess the question is: sometimes it's you know humor about it is um, to me it seems to be a, a healthy way of um, you know going through the experience. So I guess is it is it yeah. you know we can have humor in it is you know to to make for ourselves, but to make fun of is a different matter. Is that where the yeah. distinction may be? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, a lot of, I think, some of the best examples um, do include humor. You know, I refer to, um, like, Grace and Frankie, and there's definitely some humor there. Um, you know, the Comiskey Matt, there's a lot of TV shows that do use humor, um, and I do feel as if, Humor allows us to 
deal with subjects that we're uncomfortable with. And so in this case, it would be completely appropriate. But I think that oftentimes um, what's happening is that people are sort of laughing at the characters, not with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the mm-hmm. ones that comes to mind are all the Viagra storylines, <laughs> you know, put in. I mean, just... And, and so what you can see what that happens. So like the Viagra storyline in movies and TV shows, I'm sure you've encountered and a lot of your listeners have encountered as well as, you know, character takes a Viagra and then, you know, has a, has an erection and, you know, and it's embarrassing and uh, he has to hide it and things like that. And so, the difference between that portrayal, which is, you know, just always played for laugh, and the reality mm-hmm. and the research is that, you know, a lot of men and women don't like Viagra. Like they instead, you know, they, and, and that just does not get represented because it's not funny. You know, instead what my research yeah. found is that people find other interesting ways to be intimate um, as they get older, that don't involve necessarily, you know, that don't involve Viagra. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what can't come to the surface, you know, because people are so busy making the, at this point, cliches, you know, presentation yeah. of the Viagra gag. So maybe that's a good way to, to sort of see, you know, where the problems lie from, oh, you know, going too too easily to the comic trope and not, um, you know, showing right. that there is other sides to it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's good. Yeah. Great distinction. Now, one of the things, um, you, first of all, I will say that your book is highly referenced. <laughs> you, you <have> gotten, <laughs> I do read a lot. When I wrote my first book, one review said I wrote my first book was on uh, the work-family debate in popular culture. And one of the reviewers said, I think that she has read every single piece of literature on the topic. So it's a little bit of my style is that I am uh, – I am, uh, you know, nearly obsessive researcher. I tried to, so even as I was editing this book, like new books were coming out and I was just, you know, I was reading them as I was editing and putting things in. So there's even works up to like 2020 that are in there, you know, which is, you know, almost unheard of for books to have um, sources so recent. Exactly. But, but, you know, again, I, I think that if people are interested in the origin from, you know, from what you drew the information, that is just a wonderful way for people to kind of explore more if they really want to learn um, about that topic. Um, Now in in it, um, one of the statistics you had was regarding the, the elder boom or, or the, just the um, rapid increase in the number of elderly um, individuals. Um, So, can you talk talk a little bit about you know just why that this particular information in your book is going to become even more important for people in the in the years to come, the very near years to come? 
Yeah, I do think it is important um, because you know, so our demographic is really shifting, um, and it affects like almost every industry, let alone people's personal relationships. So, you know, um, in terms, of, I guess I'll start with the personal first. I mean, one of the things that um, I talk about in the book is that that people are having a longer time as uh, with their parents than they did when they lived in the home, like because because people are living longer. So the relationship between adult children and their parents, you know, is much, much longer than, you know, those 18 years when they lived um, beforehand. So that's why that relationship can be, you know, interesting and complicated and things like that. But as I said, I mean, it's affecting so many different careers. There's going to be such a need for uh, caregivers, both, you know, professionally and personally um, as people live longer. Um, It's affecting industries, even like housing industries, because people are, you know, have to figure out what kind of facilities that people want um, if they give up the idea of like leaving, you know, living in their home forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is going to just affect our whole, our whole world um, with you know, the statistics and the startling one is that, you know, at some point um, it's going to be like one out of every three people in the United States is going to be over 65. So, uh, that is a really dominant part of the population. And so that's why I feel like books, you know, like Gray Matters and and many of the other, you know, great books that have come out recently uh, are important because they just give us a sense of what to be prepared for. We don't want to kind of go into this time period with just a bunch of stereotypes and, and misinformation and, you know, people really need to understand um, the possibilities for sure about this time of life and not just the the things that they're dreading. Yeah, very, very much. Now I, I did, um, my last book was called um, the heart and soul of caring. And I, I put oh. together, you know, and it was, it was stories of from caregivers um, uh-huh. Kind of um, highlight, making doing a little tribute to, to the person with whom they are given care, and then just some of the you know their experiences. So, and it was just one of those things, and that that was kind of why I mentioned the last couple of years. I've kind of been focused on that because I went through and visited a, a lot of folks, and and um, so yeah, it, it's it's a, a amazing the, the the quantity, the number, the sheer number of people who are going to be. Um, in that age range. Um, now, there's a, a couple of um, topics in your book that I kind of want to talk about that I really hadn't really given much thought of until I read your book. One okay. of them is the idea of reversing aging, you know, and we see on, on TV all oh, these commercials, that, you know, these creams that reverse the aging process. Um, right. But you indicate in, in your book, you talk about really the idea of reversing aging is not necessarily maybe the the healthiest um, right. perspective. Definitely, yeah. It's actually almost ageist to like, talk about and promote um, turning back the clock, the clock, and anti-aging. And you know, I did mention um, in the book that. 
I did one search for somebody about senior apartments and then was bombarded with like emails, you know, promoting, you know, turn back the to the the clock, you know, oh. just take these pills, use this cream. And so, um it there's just really some very enthusiastic marketers out there that are are trying to you know, have people part with their money in order to to believe this myth. And, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of problems with that. I mean, one is I feel like it's exploitative. It's trying to to make people um, take advantage of, you know, of them by, like, trying to peddle an idea that it's not okay to age, that it's not just natural and accepting and it's just part of life. So it's sending the message that it has to be stopped and reversed. And, and yeah, I do think it's also just sort of setting people up for, for failure because, you know, yes, maybe someone can do something to add resilience to their skin. They can take the collagen, which is now, you know, a lot of people are taking in hopes that their skin will have less wrinkles, but um, you know, what kind of message are we sending to ourselves and to others if we are trying to, like, go back in time and to stop time? And it really sort of disregards an appreciation for the here and now and just being appreciative of, you know, the body that you have, the the mind that you have, the relationships that you have. It's like trying to sell the the grass is always greener of something, some unreality. So I do think it's really dangerous. Yeah, I, I agree. So, um, guys, we're, we're about halfway through the show, um, uh, Dr. Um, Lynn. So I want to take just a, a quick um, break, and um, I do want to invite listeners, if you want to call in with any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359. And for those listening live in the chat room, uh, you can go ahead and post um, a question in there if you'd like. Um, and then when we come back, um, Dr. Lim, I want to talk, you know, another topic like the reversing aging was the idea of successful aging. So I kind of want to yeah. talk about a little bit about that and get get a broader perspective of that, okay? Okay, sounds good. Okay, great. Okay, everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., and we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our home page. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. 
Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us. Again, today, my special guest is Dr. Ellen Lem. We are talking about her new book, Gray Matters, Finding Meaning in the Stories of Later Life, Global Perspectives on Aging. Um, Her book is available from Amazon.com. And um, I believe, didn't you say, Dr. Lem, at Rutgers Press as well? Exactly, yes. So um, Rutgers University Press can uh, also order the, people can order the book directly from there as well. And local bookstores. And and your local bookstores. As long as you have the name and the author, you're good to go. And and, and just, again, for for listeners, it's a really well-researched book. And if you are um, either involved right now with someone who is in later life and have some um, questions that, um, that you might want answers, uh, go, go ahead and pick up a book and, and actually give a few to your friends because they're bound to need it <laughs> anytime soon. So, um, okay, so um, Dr. Lam, as we, you know, we, talk, we were talked a little bit about the reversing aging and that particular perspective. Now, also something that is going on in, you know, in today's world is the idea of successful aging. And um, so can you talk a little bit about that and um, what are some of uh, the pitfalls of, you know, trying to make our later years, quote, successful or more Yeah. So, um, you know, the term came about from a study that was done and then it was transformed into a book and uh, it got a lot of prominence. So, I mean, in a lot of staying power. So people will come across the term successful aging in many different places. Um, the problem that critics have with it and I myself have with it, um, well, there's several, but I think the first one is that many people are better able to have successful aging. Um, for example, if they have money, um, sometimes there's luck involved with it, good genes, all kinds of different factors. But by setting up certain dynamics that would be successful aging, you know, being having a physically active life and um, doing uh, mental activity that is challenging and some of the dynamics, it's much easier for some people than others depending on what their circumstances is. And so I guess what I don't like about it is that it seems as if people are, if they're not doing that, um, you know, say somebody has a fall and they have a very, very slow recovery from it. And so many people who are older do have falls and, and, you know, they are not always easy to recover from. person could feel as if, you know, that they are not successfully aging because they fell and, you know, they would feel badly about themselves. So I think that part of the problem is that, Uh, it puts up one paradigm of success that isn't really equally achievable for a lot of people. And so a lot of people have come up with alternatives to it, like a meaningful, uh, aging meaningfully um, or comfortably. And uh, there's so many different ways to put it where an individual gets to decide what is important for them as opposed to having this outside criteria that they may not uh, be able to live up to. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I don't know if you can hear, but I'm in the middle of a severe thunderstorm here, so I'm not adding in theatrics or background. (laughs) 
Wow, yeah, I've heard there's a lot of but, a lot of bad weather on the East Coast. Yes, ma'am, there is. So, um, yeah, you know the, the you know the idea of um, you know successful, like you, you talked about it. There's just, I mean, in the book, the, the one thing I like about the book is, is that you present many different facets of an of a, a topic or issue, and there's no judgment in it. It's just like a presentation of factors, you know, for people to right. consider, you know, and, and I think that's a, you know, that's a, I think that's one way to um, bring people together, you know, and the fact that you're, you know, it's just, here's the information and, you know, go and go forth and, and seek, you know, for, you know, what, what, what you want um, as far as that. Um, well, thank now, you. I mean, that's really, that's really nice to hear because that is really how I want yeah. it to be. I don't want people to feel yeah. that, you know, their choices are being judged. You know, uh, if a person has yeah. plastic surgery, this is not a book saying like, no, you're wrong for doing it. It's just sort of like exploring about why people do it. Are there alternatives to it? Things like that so that they realize that there is more than one way of looking at some of the topics. So that makes me feel really good that it came across as um, as not being judgmental and that it was just right. kind of exploring the topics from, from a lot of different perspectives. So thank you for yeah. for acknowledging yeah. that. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. It's, you know, because that's the, the one thing as I go through now. I will admit there were times that I got it got kind of um, somber. <laughs> my yeah. my view kind of got you know you know when it came to to looking at the, the different views. But I think that's realistic, you know. And and I you know so um, <laughs> but but that's just you know that's again that kind of the facts, you know. This is the facts, and and how you know it's all how you um, respond to and relate to those facts. Um, uh, now, uh, one of the things that um, you talked, you know, you, you said that, you know, when it comes to um, successful aging, you know, we all have different kind of opportunities to be able to um, have the ability to manage successfully. Uh, now, you did, part of your book includes um, results from a survey that you did of, of more than 200 people, an in-depth survey. So um, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about the survey, and and I think it also kind of ties into the idea of, you know, with the participants that you had, uh, maybe also kind of um, fit into the idea of, you know, just a variety of um, people's attention toward the idea of aging. Yeah. Because I guess in your study that, that you, you didn't really have a high, you know, minority or disability response to it. So can, first of all, let's just talk about the survey, what what you did and how you got the participants. Sure, yeah. Um, I designed the, the survey with my mom. I had her take the lead. She is a retired psychologist, and so I wanted to, you know, walk the walk of my book and not just uh, ignore <laughs> mm-hmm. somebody who's resourceful, who's in their 80s and retired. So my mom, um, you know, helped design the first class, the first batch of questions, and then I developed them. I worked with a student uh, on a, a independent study project. So we they developed over time. Um, initially, we gave up the survey in paper format. Um, the student distributed to a lot of different people he knew in nursing homes and assisted living. Um, I hit up 
the YMCA's that have uh, aging exercise programs, things like that. Um, originally, I wanted to go with the paper surveys because I felt as if it would not discriminate against those who have technology accessibility. But mm -hmm. in order to really get out of Wisconsin, aside from people sending it to their <laughs> family that I knew outside, I knew I really had to do it um, in an electronic option as well. So I did adapt the survey to to do that. And um, then the link could be shared more readily. So as a result, um, the people were able to then take the survey and then give it to other people. So the survey did go all across the country. I know California, it did, you know, hit the East Coast, um, you know, throughout the Midwest. And, um, yeah, it did feel as if it was not as, um, it was not as diverse, although it didn't ask a lot of questions about um, people's demographic background. Um, but I do feel that it was diverse in terms of economics. Um, there were definitely people who said that they were, felt like they were almost destitute and relying on the kindness of strangers. And there were people who said they had several million dollars in the bank and they weren't sure that that was going to be enough. So, um, you know, mm. and in terms of people's um, their abilities, you know, several people had severe severe disabilities um, and other people, you know, were even in their 80s and 90s, um, you know, doing exercise regularly and things like that. So there was a lot of diversity in it. Um, questions that we asked were everything from what's your general mood um, during the day? Do you have worries about money? Um, what do you wish you would have told your 20-year-old self, um, fears. Uh, we also asked about um, people's living situation. Were they happy with it, where they lived? Um, who supports them? Um, do you experience ageism? So uh, the final survey did have 25 questions, and a lot of people wrote quite a bit. So I did really learn from those and incorporated a lot of those stories into the pages of of Gray Matters. Yeah, there are quite a bit, and, and I enjoyed when you brought up those you know those examples because um, it, it kind of just it makes it easier to translate you know the idea um, into you know an observable an observable behavior you know or something that uh, you may have done or some or have seen someone else do um, now. With the study, um, was there um, a um, the, was the approach, uh, the approach um, interdisciplinary? I mean, were you know the, what was the you know the scope as far as because I mean when when you read the book, you see that you present a topic from multiple points of view. You know, either um, from like psychology or economics or sociology. You know, I mean, you have a lot of different disciplines mixed into um, right. the story. So can you tell us about it? Because the reason I bring that up is because it's, I think by doing that is when you really show the complexity of the of the topic of aging. Yeah, that's what my hope was. And some of the, the best classic books that 
preceded mine really took an interdisciplinary approach as well. So I talk a lot about um, Simone de Beauvoir's coming of age. And, you know, when people think of Simone de Beauvoir, um, she was a philosopher and they will think of her feminist views um, in second sex. But this book that she wrote, Coming of Age, um, in 1970, is fascinating. I mean, it also includes literature and economics and interviews. And so she was doing like kind of an early version of what I was doing 50 years ago. Um, and that is true as well um, with several books that, that I use. So I, I really feel as if that approach helps us because one of the things that the research shows is that when you take maybe just one discipline perspective, like thinking about medical mm-hmm. looking at aging, it's often on like what goes wrong. You know, it's on like, you know, <laughs> even thinking about it in terms of like COVID. I mean, when the stories came out, it was about, you know, people who that was first thought of as being like kind of an old person's disease. And so when we look at it mostly through a medical perspective, it tends to focus on on you know health and, and not well being. And so that's why I think it's really important from like a sociological perspective, looking at interviews and you know, that's what the, the primary research is for, is for people to give their own versions of their life stories to include those and then i think the the cultural text um the literature and the art and the tv shows and many of those written by people who are seniors themselves as well really allow those sort of multifaceted experiences of getting older to come through uh, so uh i really I always intended to write a, a book that was interdisciplinary, but as I really dug deep into the sources that helped me the most, I noticed that most of them had taken the same approach. And probably one of the most recent ones was um, Louise Aronson's uh, Elderhood. Um, and she is a geriatrician, but she also in her book says the best way to know older people and besides talking with them individually as she does in her practice is, you know, look at literature, uh, look at all these other fields, uh, and that's that's where we're really going to be able to tell the full story. Yeah, um, it, it's just, um, and I, I just find it, you know, just fascinating that, um, you know, the because, again, it, it just shows uh, – and it's just everything is interconnected, and there's there's so much more than meets the eye when it comes to you know uh, people and, and how they react. Now um, you you do you did mention a couple of the topics that are, are in your book that you address, and um, one of them is senior parents and their adult children, and um, yeah. and that that was that was a a, a really good one. Yeah. In it, um, you indicate that at least 10 million adult children in the U.S. are looking after their senior parents three times more than 15 years ago. Um, so, you know, this whole role reversal, um, yeah. it, it's something that's hard on everybody. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like uh, you spent yeah. 50 years working out a role, and now all of a sudden you got to reverse it. 
Exactly right. I love that one quote from the Milwaukee novelist Lauren Fox, where she's like, sometimes she just wants to crawl into her mom's lap and be like, you know, the little girl again, and realizes like, no, mm. that she's actually now become the mom, and you know, and that that role is not available. But I like yeah. how you put that. Yeah, we gotten used to this role for a long time. It feels comfortable, and now it's like shift. Mm-hmm. You know, so that but, yeah. that really. Put your finger on why it's it's difficult. Yeah, to adapt. Yeah, really polar polar shift. Now, one of the things that is a, a couple of the subtopics in, in that area that are that I think are important, and then particularly in today's environment, um, one of them you talk about that um, sometimes there are estrangement complications, you know, between yeah. um, parents and, and adult children, um, and. I know that personally, from personal experience, um, yeah, that kind of um, situation, and um, and you know, it's um, it just seems that there's probably a lot more of that that goes on than meets the eye. Did did some of that right. come up in your survey? Yeah, it definitely did, and I, I think it's an important topic to address because I think that we have a viewpoint of uh, that families are all look like they're Norman Rockwell pictures, and you know everybody gets along, and grandparents stay, and everything is is really mm-hmm. rosy. And I feel like that does a disservice to a lot of people who are struggling to have a relationship with their family, who do not want they're carrying grievances from the past, and they have not been able to really forgive a parent for what they feel were mistakes that, you know, caused too much pain and disruption growing up. And so um, I think and then if we put pressure on people like, oh, just forgive and forget and, mm-hmm. you know, make up and don't carry a grudge, which was, you know, what a lot of the research shows, that there's like pressure on people to come on, it wasn't that bad, you know, (laughs) making them change their position. And so, you know, I want to, Uh yeah, I just want to like respect the fact that those who, who are, you know, holding on to anger and don't feel particularly lovey-dovey despite their parents being maybe in a more um, infirm state that, there is validity to their perspective, and I think I mentioned that in the book, uh, the example even from the film Trainwreck, where like two children have very different views about the father, who you know, mm-hmm. who's in assisted living. One is like, oh, he was the best father he could be, and the other was like, nope, <laughs> I don't care what <laughs> happens to him. And so that I thought was really interesting that the siblings have even different viewpoints of their parents. Right. And, I think one of the things I got from the surveys from the parents' perspective, and that's why it was, that chapter was tricky because I wanted to both represent um, the adult children perspective, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to make sure to bring in parents' perspective. And, again, that's why literature is helpful because in that chapter I talk a lot about Elizabeth Strauss' masterpiece, Olive Kitteridge, um, because it really does look at both the parents and um, and the adult children's perspective. But, you know, what the adult, I mean, what the surveys told me about the parents is that a lot of people did feel as if they messed up and that, you know, they took responsibility for not being great parents. And 
so uh, that was one of the things that they would have done differently if they could have done their life. They would have spent more time with their kids. They wouldn't have spoken so harshly to them. And so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I felt really honored that people would share those really intimate, important aspects of their relationships. And I feel like the the book is richer because so many people opened up on this subject, you know, and, and yeah, made it, it not like yeah. a, everything is perfect. You know, I love my kids. My kids love me. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, well, I don't know what other people's problems are. Everything is great with us, you know. So I, I felt like that the people were honest, um, really allowed us yeah. to go into that that area that is somewhat taboo. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, it is one of those areas that is just not um, just not talked about and, and not discussed. And, and actually that is the solution is to have a discussion um, about it, um, you know, to get through that. And, and you know, in my family, you know, uh, four, four children, every single one had a different perspective on, on wow. um you know, certain situations. Yeah, it's just, and you know, but I think that's just human nature. You know, we all see it through our own eyes, you know, depending on um, our relationship with that parent, too. So, yeah, and the family's um, different at different yeah. times, too. That was one of the things yeah. that also came up was that, like, you know, just because you're siblings, you know, that maybe a parent lost a job and then, you know, abused alcohol during that period of time. But one kid's maybe out of college, out at college at that time, but another person's home. So, like, the home dynamic is always shifting as well so that certain yeah, people are yeah, exactly. experiencing something, you know, a different environment right. than others. Yeah, and, and our selective memory, you know, certain things that, uh, right. you know, we, we choose to remember, you know, for, you know, through our, our particular eye, eye, um, eye view. Now, one of the things also, and that one, again, I think this is really pertinent to today's environment, is that um, you indicated in the book that um, those who were no longer in contact with their adult children were the unhappiest among all of the people studied. And, you know, in, in today's world, you know, there's a whole lot less contact going on. So um, what can you, you know, talk about uh, to that particular topic? And, and again, maybe how we can um, work with that in today's environment. Yeah, that's a really, it's a great point to bring up. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't a surprising statistic that the people who were cut off from their relationships with their adult children were the most unhappy because I feel like not only are those individuals not getting like help and reminders and like, did you take your blood pressure today? And, you know, the kind of checking in that are important as well as the assistance, like, okay, let me come over and look at your computer and things like that. But I think also like just on a psychological level, I mean, a lot of people feel as if their children were their life's work. You know, that was their, Mm -hmm. that was the Mm -hmm. project that they put in like most of their money, most of their time, you know. And so, and then to like have nothing at the end is, you know, to show for it, it can be like just really, really disheartening. Um, I guess, you know, um, if the relationship seems like they are not, being able to be repaired, 
Um, I do see that a lot of people later in life create alternative families, you know, and this came up in my mm-hmm. chapter on solo agers. So there's a lot of people who are going to be in this elder boom that don't have kids at all and need to manage. And so um, I do think that, and that's part of the reason why the housing is so important is that a lot of people just feel as if I'm going to stay in my house or condo, you know, (laughs) it's about my independence. But one of the things that really came up um, in researching the book is that people who live in more with other individuals have um, have a lot higher quality of life in terms of their sociability and that, you know, mm-hmm. so even if you are cut off from your families, at least you have the possibility of there's somebody to eat your dinner with and somebody to play bridge mm-hmm. with and somebody to check on you like, oh, I didn't hear from so-and-so today. I'm going to look after them. And so um, at least there's that. I mean, at least that, that people are capable of, Till, till the very end of forming different kinds of relationships and um, family replacement relationships, uh, especially if they either live in a building with other people who are seniors, um, you know, some kind of retirement facility or assisted living or something like that, or become involved in senior centers. And uh, so I think those are the alternative if the relationship with the family is just impossible to mend. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, we, I, I've seen the um, you know, in, the inside assisted living um, operation, and you know, I can I agree with you the that support um, that you know having someone to have dinner with, even being able to have you know three meals all having to do the dishes afterwards or, or right. worry about who's preparing them you know and that kind of thing and yeah the the lack of independence is a real tough one i mean it's you know i think you know probably next to going into a place would be having to give up the car keys for for a lot of seniors as far as right. when it comes to uh in, independence um but you know the you know the idea uh sometimes if Sometimes it just gets to the point where, you know, it really is the better environment, you know, for for the individual and, and, um, you know, when it comes to care. And and now um, there were a couple um, topic uh, kind of um, issues or or reactions that you talk about in the book to that particular, you know, having someone to go to a, a, uh, like a nursing home or assisted living in that was like a, it was called um, relocation stress syndrome or transferred trauma. Um, boy, I saw that, you know, when, when new arrivals came, you know, to, I mean, it, there, it was at least, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, steady, um, right. very, traumatic types of reactions to it. Um, but um, it, it's just one of those decisions that is, is a really tough one to make, but, but thousands of people are having to make it. Yeah, I think we just have to, I mean, I think there are definitely problematic nursing homes out there. And, you know, and I tried to outline right. in the book about what those problems are, but to basically, you know, toss aside 
any type of, um, you know, group living situation um, for seniors really is dismissive of this very important social component that can be found there. And so that was, you know, part of my intention with that chapter is to to look again and note like there are a lot of, to- of facilities like these greenhouses that I refer to that are sort of like alternative to to what people think of as a nursing home because they're in they're in houses and they're people and there's somebody who cooks food for the group of people living in there and you know so we just need to like open up our imaginations and to look beyond again the stereotypes not only are older people themselves stereotyped but like nursing home and those types of facilities are also so that's why people always have that idea like don't put me in a nursing home well you know right. I mean, um, there are some nursing homes that, yes, no one maybe should ever step foot in, but there is a lot of other ones that right. are providing really quality care. Yeah, I agree. Boy, well, well, our, our time is um, just about up, uh, Dr. Lim. Uh, one of the things I do want to let list, listeners know, the other topics that you cover in your book are understanding memory loss, intimacy, uh, women and men, equal, separate but equal, money, work, retirement, and death. Um, so those are all additional topics that you cover, again, with quite a variety of, of references and perspectives. So um, I guess the, 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 what I'd like to kind of close with is what do you hope that um, Gray Matters, reading Gray Matters, will do for the reader? I think my my number one aim would be to take away some of this fear of aging for younger people who are reading the book, people who before their senior years, I want them to not be terrified. Um, I want them to recognize the possibilities, have a fresher perspective. And those who are reading the book who are uh, older themselves, I want to like show tremendous like respect for their experience an appreciation for the variety and individuality of people who are going through that and um, to just, you know, have them take a broader view, look at culture beyond advertisements that are always going to make people try to feel badly about themselves um, and find reasons to feel good about themselves and the choices that they're making every day. That's great. And uh, certainly the, just the shift in perspective can be do wondrous things for people. So as far as their quality of life. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Lev, for your time today. I've really appreciated speaking with you. I enjoyed reading your book. Uh, There's, uh, again, a lot of things that I hadn't thought of or considered. And and, um, so I'm a lot more aware now, and I appreciate that. So thank you very much. Thank you. I enjoyed talking with you as well. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Again, everyone, today my very special guest has been Dr. Ellen Lem. We've been talking about her new book, Gray Matters, Finding Meaning in the Stories of Later Life, Global Perspectives on Aging. Um, again, her book is available from Amazon.com as well as you can get it from Rutgers Press. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again... Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast 
from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.